Have you guys been enjoying that? I guess Cheryl's been enjoying it. So. Awesome. We're walking through the life of Jacob, which Jacob had a lot of awkward moments in his life. And uh, so we're talking about um, starting off a little bit awkward. And, and, and I always make the disclaimer that we're, when we say awkward, we don't necessarily, it's not necessarily a really bad thing. Um, it's a part of growing. When you're in a, an awkward phase, when you're in an awkward stage, that means you haven't been there before. It means you don't really know what to do. And that's okay. As long as we allow God to develop us and mature us to a place where we can step into what is awesome. And uh, we believe that when God comes on the scene, that that's what he does. He always moves us from awkward to awesome. And uh, we've been looking at the life of Jacob in the Old Testament. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 28 today. I'm going to continue the story of Jacob. Chapter 28, we're going to start at verse 10. And um, this is a, a pivotal moment in Jacob's life. It says, now Jacob went out from Beersheba. Beersheba is where Isaac ended up settling. We talked about Isaac last week. And uh, Beersheba is where he, he dug the final well and where God blessed him and where he stayed and became very rich in Beersheba. That's where Jacob and Esau, his brother, have been for the past 57 years of Jacob's life. Now Jacob goes out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached up to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending. Verse 13 says, and behold, the Lord stood above it. Whatever situation you're in, the Lord is above it. The Lord stood above it and said, to Jacob, I am, that's something, that's something unique to Jehovah, that's something unique to God. This is what he says about himself all the time. I am. I am the Lord. The word means Jehovah. I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you uh, shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. I love that promise. Verse 16, then Jacob awoke from his sleep. Surely, he said, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had set at his head, and set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Literally, Beth means house, and El is God, the house of God. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give to me, I will surely give you a tenth. Ten percent. I'm going to talk to you today just um, just quickly about this, this subject, and I guess the title of my message would be, Turning pillows into pillars. Turning pillows, pillows into pillars. Say that five times real fast. <laughs> Say something else. I don't know what it's pillows into pillars. Um, Jacob is is on the run. The reason why he's leaving his home, uh, he's been living there for 57 years. 
Um, he, 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 he got the birthright, as we talked about a few weeks ago, from his brother Esau. He sold it for a bowl of soup, or he bought it for a bowl of soup. He traded his brother a bowl of soup for his brother's birthright. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. So if you weren't here for that message, it's on podcast. You can go onto our website and listen to it. Basically, the crux of the message is uh, if, you don't, if you don't value your birthright, you'll lose it. Um, if you don't, if you don't value what what God has given to you already, then you will end up trading it for something cheaper and something a short term fix, and that's exactly what Isaac, that's exactly what Esau did. Esau traded away his birthright. So the the bottom line of that story is don't be like Esau. But for Jacob, he received the birthright, which is really a big deal. Um, Jacob received the birthright, and then after that, Jacob went on to deceive his father. Uh, I think it's in Genesis chapter 27 where he deceives his father and he receives the blessing. Um, and so it seems like he receives it through a sort of not so um, proper way. But it does back up the fact of our previous week that, that if, you, if, you, if you keep your birthright, that's when you get your blessing. And so uh, uh, Jacob, he has the birthright and then the blessing follows the birthright. He receives the blessing from his father, which is the spiritual application to the birthright. It's the spiritual headship of the home, and, and he's blessed by that. And everything seems to be going really good for Jacob until his brother Esau finds out that he stole his blessing. Esau was fine with giving away the birthright, but he was ticked off when he found out that he lost his blessing. And so he said, after my father dies, which is pretty soon, after the days of mourning are completed for my dad, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. So word gets out that Jacob uh, has a price on his head, so to speak, and Esau, his brother, is going to kill him. And Esau is a big, burly dude with guns, and um, <laughs> or at least weapons. Anyway, we don't know if he had guns, and, or, but you know, you never know. Uh, he has weapons, and he's a big guy. And and Jacob is a man of the tents, is what Scripture calls him. In other words, he likes to stay inside and drink Starbucks and. So he's, he's a lover, not a fighter, and Jacob has to flee his home now and go toward uh, Haran, which I think is about 400 miles away. I mean, it's a long journey that Jacob is embarking on. For the first time in his life, at 57 years old, he's all alone. He doesn't have any servants. He doesn't take anything. He, he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. It's just Jacob, and Jacob is now traveling through the wilderness. He's traveling through the desert, and he stops off at this Place just says a certain place. In other words, Scripture tells us the name of the place was was Luz, kind of like loser. Um, but uh, he's he's Luz. But it doesn't even necessarily say that Jacob knew what the name of the place was, because to him it was just the place. The sun's going down. It's just a certain place. I'm going to stop here and sleep for a time uh, while I continue. My journey, and and so when we look at Jacob, we we really look at him in this awkward phase, this time of awkwardness that I, I think could be labeled a time of of trouble or transition. So this message is for anybody who feels like they have some trouble in their life or they're going through some kind of transition. Honestly, I think this is really uh, who this applies to. That if you're going through some trouble or if you're going through transition, I think Jacob has a lot to teach us. Here in this moment, he's he's in, he's in trouble because he's he's fleeing from his brother who's trying to kill him. But he's in transition. Sometimes trouble uh, pre, uh, causes the transition. Sometimes you get into trouble, and that's what causes you to, to to make a transition. But either way, he's in trouble and in transition. He's 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 
leaving his home for the first time, which, by the way, you know, I, I, I am in Texas, and so I've, I've noticed I'm from Michigan originally, um, and somehow I made it all the way down here to Texas. But I've noticed that most Texans never make it anywhere else. <laughs> so just to let you know, there's something called airplanes, and, and, and it's a really, really neat invention. Um, buses exist, trains even, if you live in San Marcos, you know all about that. Uh, but and, and cars will actually drive beyond the Texas borders. It's hard to understand, I know. But like, at some point in your life, I just, I just, I just, I'm from Michigan, so I just have to tease you a little bit. At some point in your life, like, you gotta get out of Texas. No need. Exactly, why? Because it's everything you got is right here, right? Well, okay, here's the deal. In other places, they actually have four seasons. It's weird. You know those, you know those titles: spring, the spring, fall, uh, uh, spring, summer. Let's see. See, I've been in Texas too long. I don't even know. I'm like, let's see, hot, less hot, hot, less hot. That's all we got. There are places exist where winter really actually exists, and, and fall. I used to love the fall. You know, go to football games, get a coat, get a blanket. Now it's like you sit there and sweat and watch people play football. I'm just saying, you gotta get out of Texas every once in a while, because there's, there's, in some places, grass is actually green. Like, I, I know that's hard to understand. Yeah. It's green, like the color green, like your crayon green, you know, like green. Like, anyway, uh, but you know, so so you can you can relate with Jacob. I mean, 57 years, he's been in Beersheba, and now he's having to, to move out of Beersheba. He doesn't know if he's ever coming back. I think this is, I think if Jacob were to be able to label this time in his life, this is rock bottom for him. This is about as bad as it gets. He's having to leave his family. He's having to leave his friends. And he's having to leave what he thought was his future. I mean, I mean, Beersheba, his family, the birthright and the blessing, all of his future is tied into his family. If he leaves that land, where, you know, where, where does he go? And, and, and you sort of understand this in his prayer to God. He says, if you bring me back, like the whole deal, Lord, you got to bring me back. You got to bring me back there. So often in transition, that's one of the, that's one of our greatest prayers. Lord, just bring me back to where I was. Because when you're in between, like where you were and where you're going, that's the difficult part. He's, he's not at Haran yet, but he's definitely not in Beersheba. He's somewhere in between. And his prayer is, Lord, just, just bring me back. And I think that's on the heart of everybody who's in transition. Man, I wish I could just go back to the old days. I wish I could go back to the familiar. I wish I could go back to, to because I knew how to act in that situation. I knew how to respond in that situation. I had become comfortable in that scenario, but when he gets out of his comfort zone, he lands in this random, random place. He lands in this awkward place. He lands in this strange place, and yet, and yet it's in this place that he finds God. And so, and so I want to talk to you about the fact that, honestly, as, as, as awkward as transition is, as tough as trouble is, it is so valuable in your life. So often we're in a rush to get out of awkward and to get out of trouble and to get out, get out of transition. We're, we are very much a destination society. We're very much a destination generation. Um, we're not about the journey. We're not about the process. We're about the product. We're not about we're not about the the transition. We're about the 
the destination. And so, and so to us, the sooner we can get to that destination means the sooner we can be at peace with ourselves and the sooner that we can be happy. But, but did you know that oftentimes God shows up seemingly in the middle of transition and awkwardness, in the middle of trouble? And so for me personally, I've come to value trouble. I've come to value transition. I've come to value this awkward. Like I was talking, I was talking to, um, uh, I was talking to somebody this past week, and um, uh, they're a Christian, been a Christian a long time, and uh, they're talking to me about a certain opportunity that City Chapel has uh, with regard to a building. And so there's this, there's this opportunity that's on the table. Um, one of our, one of our. Um, Trustees, when looked at it last week, and, and we're always just kind of putting our feelers out, trying to see where God's leading us. And um, so he went and checked it out. So anyway, this this guy was talking to me about the opportunity, and uh, uh, it seems on paper to be a good opportunity. And 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 I told him, I said, yeah, but I really need to pray about it for for a little while to make sure that that it's that it's a God opportunity because there's a good opportunity, and then there's a God opportunity. And um, you don't know the difference on paper. Paper doesn't show that. Uh, you have to hear that from God. And so I said, you know, I want to pray about it. And uh, he was like, he was like, well, it's a good opportunity, so it must be God. And I said, uh, it's not how it works, really. Because um, I've had lots of good opportunities in my life. I've had a lot of opportunities to go here and to go there and, and to work at that church and to do this. I've had a lot of good opportunities for jobs. I've had a lot of good opportunities for a lot of things. But, but a good opportunity is not always a God opportunity. But sometimes if that's what shapes your theology, if you believe that good opportunities are always God opportunities, then, then, then the opposite is typically true. A bad situation is not a God situation. We often think that God is just in the good opportunities. But what's, what's, what's crazy about it is, is, that, is that when you try to evaluate what is and is not a good opportunity, your perspective is like this. Like you're looking at like right now and yesterday, you're looking at right here. That's why when God, that's why a God opportunity is something that God has looked at from a much higher perspective. And he sees this is actually good for you. It's not that God wants to make your life miserable. It's that sometimes, like, there's some difficult transition you have to go through in order to get to something better that God has for you. In fact, I would say that if you knew the cost of your so-called good opportunity, you know, I mean, like, hey, there's this job over there, and so we move over there, and then and then you lose your, your child in a car accident. Was that a good opportunity? Or is that a bad? You see, there's so there's so many things that you you have no idea what your good opportunity is going to cost you, and so we often evaluate based on right here and right now. But God sees the whole picture, and God says this is a good opportunity for you and for Jacob. Getting out of Dodge was a good opportunity for him. Now Jacob didn't think that. Jacob said, "Lord, you need to be sure to bring me back. Like I I gotta come back to this." And God said, "Yeah, that, 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 that's fine, but I'm going to take you out." Of that place, I don't know about you, but I've had I've had God take me out of some places. Um, the, the church that the church that my my family and I started going to when I was twelve years old. Twelve? No, uh, I think a, no, I was ten. I was ten years old, nineteen ninety. Looking back in the day, back when I had uh, British nights. Anybody wear any BJs? The right move for you. Uh, yeah, man, they were they were awesome. And souls that were like this thick, you know. I was like, I was a lot taller back then. And uh, <laughs> but 
it was all fake. It was not real. Uh, and so anyway, 1990, we helped start a church, a great church, a loving church, a great community. Started meeting in the pastor's home, like us and like four other families, you know. And, and I mean, it was it was our church. And it was, it's where I preached my first sermon when I was 12, started studying New Testament Greek from the pastor's dad. I mean, we were, I was, I was washing the, my man, me and my brother washing the pastor's van like every week. I mean, we were, we were, we were heavily involved. People thought we were the pastor's kids and we, we weren't. <laughs> no, no, we just, we just act like it. We just, we, we, we were there. We were so involved. I was leading, by the time I was 17, I was leading the Sunday night service, the prayer service. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was where I thought I was going to be Forever, I never thought I would be in Texas. I never thought I'd visit Texas. But uh, you know, for me, it was like all the Texans—they were way too proud of their Texanness, and I'm like, that's so weird. And so, you know, I was—I I didn't even want to come down here to be honest, because your reputation preceded you. And I was like, well, at least they got guns. That's cool, you know. I mean, but the cowboy hats, the boots—it's really not my thing. And so I had planned on being like near Detroit is where we were. I had planned on going off, going to Bible college, getting education and coming on back and taking over that church and, and, and the pastor was like going to give it to and we, I mean, we were just, we were like close that was my plan and then and then God sort of moved us out and uh, I remember I remember uh, I was talking to one of my mentors, I mean our family was kind of broken hearted, we were just broken about this you know, I, my plans were completely shifted obviously and I was talking to one of my mentors about it and um, he's a man of few words uh, oh, Pastor Wright. So I was talking to Pastor Wright, and I, I, I told him what happened, and he just, he didn't say anything. He just, he was just sitting there, and uh, it was church about to start, so I was like, oh, maybe he's thinking about a sermon. And uh, then he just got up. He's like, well, time to go in. And so we, <laughs> thanks, Pastor Wright. And so we go on in, and, uh, but then he stops, and he's like, but it's not like you were going back to that church anyway, is what he said to me. And I thought, well, yeah, actually, I was going back to that church. That was totally 100%. I, what, that was what I was doing. I mean, what are you talking about? And so I was a little bit offended because it was such a short answer, and it made it sound so simple. And so we went to worship, and we're singing and stuff. And that's where God began dealing with my heart. He said, Harry, it is really that simple. Just your emotions make it feel like it's not. But it really is from a different perspective, from somebody who's not suffering from your same emotional state. It really is that simple. God wanted you out of there. God got you out of there. And God's going to lead you to somewhere else. And so I didn't know where it was. And then uh, here, here we are. And uh, we never would have been here if, if yeah, because I would never have left on my own. Jacob would never have left if it hadn't been for Esau. Jacob would never have left. He's now stuck in transition. And, and, and it's in this place that he, that he goes to sleep. He lays down, he goes to sleep, he just crashes out. And um, God gives him this revelation. And so this is what I want to spend the next few minutes focusing on, this revelation that God gives him. He's, first of all, he sees this, this, this ladder. And so he's sleeping, and he sees, he sees a ladder that's reaching up to heaven. And um, uh, up and down the ladder. The ladder is like, if he's sleeping here, the ladder is, is right there where, where he's sleeping. It starts, and it's actually the word for it is a ramp, so there's not really rungs or steps, but it's, it's just it's just this ramp going up to heaven. And and he sees this ramp, and, and on the top of it is God over him, over his situation. And and up and down, though, is coming these angels. And that's what's so interesting to me, because, because I you know, Jacob wakes up and he says, God was here and I didn't even know it. In other words, I thought I was alone. 
So often in transition, we often feel like we are alone. In trouble, we feel like we're alone. But God opens up his eyes through this dream, and he realizes that in the same place where he felt alone, in the same situation that he felt alone, actually there was a ramp and angels were coming down and going up and going down and going up. Because because here's here's the deal. If you could understand the activity of heaven, like 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 nothing's going on where you are. But if you if the veil could be pulled back and you could see how busy heaven is working on your assignment, how busy, these angels are coming to him. They're not going around to, to Beersheba. They're not going around to Haran. They're right there in the middle of transition. God's ladder, God's ramp extends down to where you are when you're in between where you want to be and where you have been. It extends down to exactly where you are and the activity of heaven that's going on right now that you can't even see and you don't even realize. God is, is working on your behalf while you are sleeping, while you're taking a nap. God's sending angels down, bringing angels up, sending them down, bringing you know, what are they doing going up and down? Angels are, the, another word for angel in the, in, the, in the New Testament is messenger. Because that's what angels do. Angels carry the word of God. Even warring angels, they bring the word of God against the enemy. Because it's the word of God that rebukes Satan. And so even warring angels, their job is to deliver a message from heaven. So when, when while Jacob is sleeping, God is sending messages via angels down to where he is. The word of God is following him in the middle of transition. Going down and coming up and going down and coming up. He first sees this and he realizes, one, he's not alone. And two, all of heaven is very much invested in his transition. Very much invested in his next step. Thank God is God is working overtime while he's sleeping the night shift. God is working to send a message down to him. And he realizes this. Oh my goodness, this is not, I'm not alone. I'm not by myself. This ramp of heaven extends even to my transition. And then God gives him a message, first of all, about himself. He says, I am the Lord. Right. The word Lord means Jehovah. I am. And, and, and Jehovah means the self-existent one. Because that's why, that's why God calls himself I am. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses said, who should, I, who, should I, who should I say that sent me? And he said, tell them I am sent you. Because nobody else can really say I am. Everybody else has to add some kind of precursor to that. I am so long as. In other words, you, if, 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 if you are, that's cool, as long as you have oxygen. <laughs> you got to have oxygen in order to be. Otherwise, you no longer are. You were. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you are dependent on a great many things. You, you and I are dependent. We are dependent on water, oxygen, shelter, love to some extent. There, there are so many things that we are dependent on in order to be. We cannot strictly say I am. Only God can say I am. Because only God is, is simply is without anything else. Before everything else was and after everything else will disappear, God will still be I am. Ever present, self-existing, self. He doesn't need anything. He, he's not leaning on anything. He's not looking for anything. Nothing can be added to him. And all of the strength that he gives doesn't diminish his at all. He simply is Jehovah. He's self-existing. He's self-manifesting. He's, he's self-describing. He alone can describe himself because he alone can understand himself. And so he, he stands and he says, I am the self-existing one. I am the God of your father Abraham. I am the God of your father Isaac. He first lets him know who he is. And so the first thing you need when you're in transition is a revelation of who God is. 
And so that's why coming to church is important. That's why reading your Bible is important. That's why hearing from God is important. Because the rest of the world will tell you who you are, but you can't even understand who you are until you understand who He is. And when you get a vision of who He is, when you get a vision of who He is, you understand where you came from. Abraham and Isaac. He says, He says, I am the Jehovah. I am the self-existing one, and I am the God of your past. I am the God that formed you before you even had a name. I named you. I knew you. I, I formed it. Like I, I promised Abraham about you, and I promised Isaac about you. And so, and so this 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 intentionality of heaven is suddenly revealed to Jacob, and he sees a God who is self-existing, who needs nothing, who needs no one, and yet desires to be in relationship with him. Yet desires to be in relationship with him, and he says, "He says, I am the God of Jacob. I am, uh, or I, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac." And then he says, "You will be blessed." If we can put that scripture back up there, is, is this it? No, no. If we can go back to that to that passage, let's just read that promise that that he says. He says, he says "Your descendants, in verse fourteen, your descendants will will be uh, as the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad um, to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. In your seed, all the families." Of the earth will be blessed. Now he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming through the lineage. In other words, we are blessed to be a blessing. That when God blesses us, he expects us to share that blessing with others in order to bless others. And he says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you. And I, and I know you can't take every promise to some patriarch and apply it to our lives, but I think that this promise is something that is throughout Scripture. That if you trust in Jesus, that if you believe in Jesus, you have the promise that he is with you and that he will keep you. Yeah. And actually those two words, those two words right there, is actually one word in the Hebrew, and it simply means I will, I will encamp around you. Yeah. I will camp out, like, around you. Yeah. <laughs> I, and it's hard to understand because... You know, how in the world could one God camp out around? But somehow he's going to live in a circle around. I'm going to surround you. I'm with you, my presence, and I will keep you my protection. My presence and my protection are going to surround you. Now, why would Jacob need to hear that? And and so as, as I began thinking about why in the world would Jacob need to hear that, I started, I started looking at this idea of him sleeping on a rock. That he had this rock as a pillow, and in my head, I always, I always imagine like a, you know, like a rock, like a, like a, maybe like a two foot diameter sort of smooth stone that he's got. Uh, he finds this rock, and he, and he actually lays, like he lays out on it, right, like like prostrate. He just, he just lays on this rock, sort of like we would lay on a pillow, is what I always thought. But it's interesting that that the Holy Spirit brings this little detail to the story because normally God doesn't tell you how people are sleeping; they just kind of go to sleep and they wake up, and the story continues. But in this case, we understand. That he is he's putting his head on a, on a rock. And so as I prayed about that, the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, Harry, how could how could your little two-foot rock become a pillar? Because that's what it is. He sets it up. The Bible says he sets it up as a pillar. He pours oil on it and he tells God, he says, if you do all this stuff for me, I'll come back to this rock. And this rock will be your house. That's what he says. He says, I'm coming. Now, if it's just this little two-foot, I mean, it's going to get lost. <laughs> just logically, if it's a small pillow-sized rock, you know, he's going to be like, okay, now which one had the oil? Like, Because he comes back. He comes back to this place 40, uh, 43 years later. He's 100 years old. He comes back to this place. 
You're not going to be able to find a little two-foot rock that was sitting around. No, like this, this rock is a pillar. A pillar means something that stands upright, something that is tall. Something that's big enough to where when he comes back 47 years later, he's going to, or 43, he's going to say, hey, this, this is, this is that rock. This is the rock that was my pillow. This is the rock that is the pillar. This is the house of God. We found it. We finally found the rock. So, so, so the question is like, how is he sleeping on a pillar? And, and so it kind of changed the way that I viewed the story because in my head, in my head, he's he's kind of laying down. But I think the pillar was more sort of sort of like maybe like this size to where you don't really like if you pretend this whole thing is a rock, you don't really lay down on this guy, you know. I mean, I mean, you can shake it and stuff and make people nervous, but but you don't you don't really lay down on it. Right? You sort of like lean up against it. And that's actually what it means. The, the word to lay his head on means he laid his head up against, which is different than laying your head on. So in other words, he said when, when he decided to go to sleep, he looked around for a big rock, moved a big rock into position, and then he and then he and then and then he did this. And so as I as I was just praying about why in the world would Jacob want to sleep like this? That's not comfortable. Uh, you know, Dr. Greg is going to be mad at you because you're going to jack up your back. It's not good for your your chiropractor not going to like this. You know, what, like, did, did did people normally sleep like this? No, no, they, they lay down. Now, why why in the world is Jacob sleeping like that? He's a man of the tents, right? He's used to you know your sealy posturepedic, and 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 now he's like. You know, this is like those remote beds that look really uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's crunching you up. I mean, he's, he's sitting. I mean, why are you sleeping sitting up? And that's where and that's where the Lord just spoke to me and said, it's because it's because he he was on guard. Because when you think you're alone, you think you have to defend yourself. And so you don't really rest. You sleep with what we would say one eye open. You sleep sitting up. So that if anything moves or jumps out at you, you're going to be awake and you're going to see. And the posture of his sleep, I think, says something about the position of his heart. He really believed he was alone. He really believed that God wasn't there. He really believed that 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 his friends, friends and family, and everybody, and so he he couldn't really rest. He had to. He had to protect himself. And this is what we do whenever we're in trouble and we're transitioning and we don't know that God is with us. We feel the weight and the burden to protect ourselves. And it weighs on us so heavily, heavily we can't even rest. We sleep with one eye open. Some of us can't even rest at night because we're too busy worrying about what other people are saying about us. Some people can't even rest during the daytime because we're too busy having to make sure that we defend ourselves on social media, make sure we defend ourselves uh, to, our, to, to, to our fellow workers, make sure we defend ourselves to our family because we have to be the one to defend our reputation and our name, make sure our boundaries don't get... Somebody. I'm stepping on toes right now, but this is the truth. As when you believe you're alone, you believe that you are your defender. So you must defend yourself. He didn't know that God was surrounding him. He didn't know that God had, had it taken care of. He didn't know because that's when he would have rested. That's when he would have just laid down and let the night watch God just take care of any enemies that might be around him. Instead, he was, he was sleeping with one eye open. He wasn't able to rest because the weight and the responsibility of his protection was on his shoulders. The responsibility of his family's finances was on his shoulders. The responsibility of his life was on his shoulders. And when you live like that, you don't rest very much. 
you don't, you don't, you, 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 you have to take a vacation from your life because your life is so stressful. Because you're not resting, because you can't rest, because the weight of it all is on your shoulders. And when God appears to him, God says, look, 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 I am surrounding you. I am around you. I am above you. I'm below you. I'm in front of you. I'm behind you. I am your protection and your provision. I am the one who is going to make you who I've called you to be. Don't, don't, like as soon as we get blessing, we get excited and we think we have to fulfill the word that God spoke over us. And Jacob says, I got to make sure that I'm okay. So I'm going to sleep sitting up. And what God says, no, no, you can take that, you can take that pillow and you can make that a pillar. Let's just, just go ahead and pour oil on it. Let that be a symbol of how, what I'm doing in your life. I'm holding you up. I'm propping you up. I'm around you, protecting you, providing for you. It's not on your shoulders. You don't have to do it. You're not alone. God is in. Like this, this, this is the key. He, he goes into the middle of nowhere. And, and God doesn't show up in the middle of nowhere. Actually, Jacob shows up to where God is. Because God was already there. He wakes up and he says, wait a minute, this is the house of God. This is the, the house. This is where God lives. Because, because up to this point, Jacob had never met God. God had never revealed himself to Jacob. 57 years he lived with his dad. And, and, and his dad had lots of stories about God. And his mom had a story about God. And his grandpa had stories about God. But Jacob didn't have any stories of any connection with God until he got into the middle of nowhere. And when he got into trouble, that's where he ran into God. Because God, like he visits your victories, he visits your strengths, but he lives in your losses. He lives like his house is at the bottom of the barrel. That's like when you're straight out of options, he walks into the front door of God's house. His li God's living room is in the middle of your losses. His bedroom, his, his kitchen. I mean, this is where he lives. He visits Beersheba. He stops by and helps Isaac drill wells. And, and he does some great things for him. But then he goes back to the middle of nowhere. And so that's why I don't think I don't think if you were to go up to Jacob and say, hey, would you like to trade that experience for anything? I don't think he would trade it for anything. Because he found where God lives. Comes right here. He's not in Beersheba. He's, he's like, he visited my dad. He talked to my dad, but he lives here he lose, right? He doesn't live in the he doesn't live in the wind, he lives in the lose. Come on, somebody. He lives in the middle of the losses. Like that's where God is. I was talking to a, a, a pastor friend of mine just this week, and I haven't talked to him in a while, and I was telling him about the flooding of our house and blah blah blah. And then some new developments this week, which was a lot of fun. And um, you know, and, and he was like, and he was like, man, I don't think I'd be able to have the attitude that you have if I was going through what you're going through. And I said, well, it's not that I'm special. It's not that I have some super great attitude. It's just like, this is where God is. If you were, it's one of those things. It, it, it feels different from the inside than it looks from the outside. From the outside, suffering looks awful. And oh my goodness, I'm so glad it's you and not me. Oh, wow, man, who must be tough. Yeah, I'm praying for you. Text, text, thank you. Thank Jesus, that's not me. And you know, it's one of those things. From the outside, it looks like, man, there's no way I would like to be in your shoes. But from the inside, like from Jacob's perspective, this is where God is. I don't know what you all are talking about back there in Beersheba, but this, I mean, a staircase to heaven? 
like angels going up and down, God appearing, promising, surrounding, protecting, providing. Woo! Like this is God. I like you. Like this is God is in the mistakes. God is in the losses. So good. God is in the trial. God is in the brutality. God is in the suffering. That's where God is. He'll visit, he'll visit your prosperity. Absolutely. And then he'll bless you with a car or something. But but he lives in your suffering. He lives in your transition. He lives in your trials. Why do you think God would bless you with it if it wasn't if there wasn't some good in it? His presence is in it. That's why he blesses you with losses. That's why he blesses you with set, what, what, what you think is a setback. That's why he blesses you with these things in order to reveal himself to you. And in the middle of that, he comes down and says to Jacob, the ground that you're lying on, I am going to give you. In other words, you thought this was some place in the middle of some place where you're going. But actually, this ground is a ground that I predestined to give to you. I'm not just... I think, like. What's that, what's that saying? I just, I just had this saying go backward in my head, but it's not all that wander are lost. Is that, is, is that the same? Not all who wander are lost. Yes. Well, like, not all who are lost are actually wandering. Because Jacob is just completely lost. He stops by this place. But he's not wandering. He's walking very intentionally. Where God wanted him to walk. Not all who feel lost are actually wandering. The ground that you're lying on, I'm going to give you. Yeah, but I thought this was just a mistake. No, the ground that you're wandering on, I'm going to give you. Yeah, but I thought this was just lose. I thought I was going to stop by here, and I was going to get up in the morning, and I was going to go on somewhere else. No, no, no. The ground that you're visiting, I'm going to give you. In fact, God planned on giving him that ground from the very beginning. Look at the boundaries of the promise. Like, from the very beginning, this was part of the promised land that Jacob could never have seen if he stayed in Beersheba. And God kicks him out of Beersheba. And that's where he finds, he finds God. He says, I will surround you Distress means tight places. <laughs> That's the place when I, I felt like I didn't have, I was between a rock and a hard place, is what we would say. It was it was in this tight place. It was in this place of no options. It was in this place where I didn't have a choice or I didn't feel like I had a choice. It was in this place where, where uh, you know, it's just things weren't working out the way that I thought that they would. And God answered me in that place at Bethlehem because it was that place that led me. That's how God leads us. He built walls and walls you in. And you feel like you're walking through a tight place. This is a tight place. But what you're doing is you're going down to Bethel. You're going to where God lives. He's taking, he's inviting you into his house. And the more we fight tight places, the more we fight distress, the more we fight emotional hardship, the more we resist going into God's house. And God's like, I'm not trying to send you out to the wilderness. I'm trying to invite you over to my house. <laughs> it feels like going out to the wilderness, but that's where God lives. He's inviting you to come 
to his house where he can surround you, where he can protect you, where he can provide for you everything that you need. And ultimately, the final scripture that I'd like to read to you is John um, chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus is talking, um, I think it's to Nathaniel, when Jesus calls him to follow him. And uh, he reads Nathaniel's mail. Uh, he, he, he tells him, he said, I saw you under that fig tree. And, um, and Nathaniel says, wow, you are, you are the Messiah. Wow, that's amazing. How did you know that? And Jesus answered and said to them, he says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you, you believe? He says, man, you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon what? A ladder? No. The Son of Man, this Jesus. Who Jacob really encountered was Jesus. That ladder was Jesus. <laughs> because the ladder was touching the dirt, but it was also touching heaven. That's Jesus. Jesus took on our dirt, and he never let go of heaven. He's the bridge. He's the ramp. He's the staircase from heaven to earth. He's... He's the, the road that these messages come down from. The angels come up and down. Jesus, they walk up the, from the Father down to you, from you to the Father, from the Father to you, from you to the, up and down Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. And the beauty that we have that Jacob did not have. Jacob had to find Jesus in this place called Bethel. But Jesus' promise to us was, if any man will, will, will hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in to him, and I will dine with him, and I will make my home with him, within him. Bethel, house of God, is not a, a place. It's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is the ladder to heaven, and we can invite him in at any given time. All we have to do is put our faith in Him and open our heart to Him. And so I'd like to invite you to do that even now. Let's close our eyes for just a moment be respectful of those around us. And let's make some decisions today. Let's let's make some decisions for Jesus today that uh, we, 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 despite what kind of trouble we might feel like we're in or what the middle of nowhere, uh, dry place that we feel like we are, maybe we're on the run, maybe we're in transition, maybe, maybe, maybe Austin was just a stop uh, for you along a great many other stops, and maybe even this life, maybe this, this situation you thought was just going to be a stop, maybe, maybe there's some kind of transition that God's trying to use this place to bring you into a, a place where you see Jesus, the connection between earth and heaven. And so for you, it's just simply saying, yes, I receive that. I open up my heart to Jesus. Come make your home inside of me. And if that's your prayer today, would you just raise your hand with me? And let's make some decisions today to, to receive Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's have Bethel. Let's have the house of God start inside of us. You can go ahead and pray with me. Say, dear God, I open up my heart to you. Come make your home inside of me. I choose to make you my Lord and follow you all the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, you can celebrate.
some others that are you're like you've made that decision, but you know, keeping that ladder connected to your earth is getting a little tricky. Let's just, let's just pray for you right now. Let's just let, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and just say, I need, I need God. More of God, really. I surrender. That song was perfect. I need more of God in my life. I need more of the ladder in my life. I need it closer to me, connected with me. Lord, we invite your, the staying power of God. I thank you for the assurance that is found in the gospel that you'll never leave us or forsake us. I thank you, Lord, that even in your promise to Jacob, you said, I will surround you. And when you move, I will move. When you go, I will go. Even when you feel like you're falling away, I'm going to go with you in order to draw you back. God's always like that. Lord, I just pray that you would keep your ladder connected to our earth. Keep your ladder connected to our dirt. That whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're dealing with, Lord, we bring it to you. And we ask for you to destroy anything that's anti-you inside of us. Anything that rises up against you inside of us. Anything, any part of us, Lord, that you're not pleased with, that you're not happy with. Just go ahead and take it on out of us. Let the angels bring the word of God to to us that confronts the enemy, the enemy outside of us, but also the enemy within us. Lord, we have an enemy that is betraying us. Our own heart betrays us. Let the word of God confront the, the filth of our own heart and remove the roots of the sin. Remove the root of the thing. Just kill it from its very root so that we don't just keep chopping down the same 